Australia needs more whistleblowers. Democracy needs more whistleblowers. And a think tank like the Australia Institute needs more whistleblowers. Hello, I'm Jennifer Macy, and this is How to Make a Whistleblower, a special three-part podcast miniseries by the Australia Institute, where we investigate what happens to the whistleblower after the whistle has blown. In this final episode, we look at how blowing the whistle is just the tip of the iceberg and the role that civil society can play in promoting a culture that not only encourages but supports whistleblowers like Marianne Slattery, so that all their knowledge and expertise is not lost. I was in the United States recently and there was ads on bus shelters saying, are you a whistleblower? Come forward, call this number. That's Ben Oquist. He's the executive director of the independent research think tank, the Australia Institute, which is based in the Australian capital, Canberra. It's ultimately a good thing if information comes into the public debate that leads to uh, better policy outcomes. And we haven't had uh, the laws that protect uh, whistleblowers, but I actually think more importantly, we haven't had uh, a culture in think tanks, in philanthropy, in our democracy that sees that they've got a wealth of expertise and experience beyond the initial blowing of the whistle that they sometimes do. The Australia Institute's dedicated research team were able to harness Marianne's encyclopedic knowledge of the Murray-Darling Basin. We were incredibly lucky to have you know, a 15-year or more history of knowledge to draw on through Marianne. It's not just you know, we don't just get her work on day one. Effectively, we're getting 15 years of knowledge and expertise. But it's it's not just about blowing the whistle in the first place. That's just the start for that person and for the issue. It's a waste if we leave it there. And, and laws themselves won't fix that. While the communications team were on hand to help get that dense information out to the general public. Well, the Australia Institute have been pursuing this for a long time. Marianne Slattery is speaking publicly for the first time. Built in Australia, according to the Australia Institute. But the Australia not... Institute's Marianne Slattery, who used to work... Marianne was terrified of doing media absolutely petrified. That's Ebony Bennett, the Deputy Director of the Australia Institute. And as a public servant, uh, you know, you're really seen and not heard unless you're kind of the head of the department that appears at estimates and things like that. So that was not anything that Marianne had done before. And yeah, I think it's fair to say she was fairly petrified. So easing her into that, making sure she felt well prepared and well supported through that was, I think, one of the, the key things we did help her with to begin with. Can I make you a cup of tea, Rob? Oh, no, I'm OK. Thanks, Marianne. Marianne once asked me for advice on um, what should she say on the radio. You know, you rang Ben for some advice and he said, oh just say whatever you're comfortable with and you said you know if I'd if I'd still been in the public service I would have been drilled for a week over what I was and wasn't allowed to say. I rang Ben and said oh am I allowed to say this and and I could hear the sort of bewilderment in his voice like why are you asking me what you could say. I remember him thinking it was really strange and yeah, it was quite amusing I thought very different. Oh you just go for years and years and years of people telling you what to say and how to say it and what you've said's wrong and yeah. Yeah, so it was a bit a bit strange. The Australia Institute had confidence in Marianne as the expert in water. 
But for Marianne, doing a live radio interview or a television broadcast was like being thrown in the deep end with all your clothes on. Rod used to take all of the live interviews at the start and, and then I wouldn't refuse to do TV. I sort of dipped my toe into doing some radio and and then moved up to live radio and then um, I was at Parliament House one time and Rod, who's very cheeky, saw Philip Glyde go into ABC and followed him, followed him in. Philip Glyde is the Chief Executive of the Murray-Darling Basin Authority. He joins us in our Canberra studios. Philip Glyde, welcome to breakfast. Uh, good morning, Fran. So is Phil O'Connor right? Are you the National Water Authority with no authority? Uh, uh, Ocker's uh, got a pretty colourful turn of phrase. We're certainly the uh, authority that's responsible for implementing the, the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. Which and is Rod saw him go into the ABC studio and ran in behind him uh, and pulled out a journal and said, I've got Marianne Slattery downstairs if you want to do an interview. And she said yes, and I thought I was doing a radio interview and then they turned up and it was a, it was a piece of 7.30 report, I think. Um, I was so mad at Rod and he <laughs> set me up. I was furious with him. That was sort of my first TV thing. But he's, you know, all through it, um, Anna, the the comms director, and Ebony and Rod are always sort of giving you tips and advice, and um, they work around the clock. So, you know, if it's 9 o'clock at night or 6 o'clock in the morning that that you need something, you know, they're there to to help. So, yeah, they're incredibly supportive. Anna's um, saying is uh, teamwork makes the dream work, so they're slowly getting me used to having to do media. Good evening and welcome to this Q&A drought special. Fast forward to October 2019 and Marianne Slattery was invited for the first time to appear as a panellist on the national broadcaster's live television show Q&A. Can you really argue that the Basin Plan has created man-made drought? I think that the water reforms, that includes the water market as well as the Basin Plan, have So how do you go about preparing for a high-stakes event like that when you're not naturally inclined to speak in public, let alone on live national television? Like, oh, what are your three ice cream scoops? That's what we call them at the Australian Institute. (laughs) Because all the flavours are good, but you only get to choose three. (laughs) (laughs) Except for chocolate mint. Chocolate mint's not good. (laughs) That's my favourite flavour. Anna Chang is the Australia Institute's communications director. She's giving Marianne tips ahead of her first appearance on the show. You bring Marianne Slattery in. We're Be not patient, ha- give it time. We're, no, it's a, the Basin Plan is a train wreck. We are not going to be... <laughs> we're not going to get better while we keep sitting here and pitching the environment against irrigators. The live TV show came a day after Marianne appeared as a guest on another national current affairs program, 60 Minutes. But Marianne Slattery of the Australia Institute was once a senior officer at the Murray-Darling Basin Authority. So from your calculations, that water wastage could have actually saved the farmers who are now struggling? Yes, that's right. If the losses weren't so high, there's water available for everyone else, yep. And when you made these discoveries, when you started putting all these numbers together, looking at the MDBA's own data, how did you feel about what was happening, what you'd uncovered? I'm really angry and um, uh, governments just should not do this to people. Marianne's breakthrough research specifically covered an enormous water loss by I think the public MDBA. servants are used to being seen and not heard and so we needed to help Marianne not only 
be seen and heard, but to know that being seen and heard was really important. And it's an important part of what we do as a research organisation. It's no good to have a great report if no one's read it or knows about what's in it. Uh, And so being engaged with the media is how we make sure that information gets out to the people who need it. It takes time to reprogram a career bureaucrat and many drafts are needed to not only write a catchy media release, but also to write research reports that are accessible to the general public. Yeah, I mean, when Marianne arrived, she spoke flawless and endless bureaucraties. That's Rod Campbell, the Research Director at the Australia Institute. And really working out how to help her communicate, not just in terms of being in front of the camera or behind a microphone, but writing a report that is more public-facing than what you write when you're a director of the Murray-Darling Basin Authority. Uh, you know, that, that took a while, and, and it still takes a while. Um, you know, it still takes us uh, a few cuts to get a good report out that'll really hit through, that, you know, hits the media ground running. Very early on, we were kind of, I can't even remember what specifically it was, but we were responding to some kind of decision in the Murray-Darling or some announcement and we were preparing a media release and we'd, we'd asked Marianne to put some dot points together and it just was very equivocal. There wasn't a very strong point of view in it and I kind of said to her, I'm reading this and I I don't even know what you think about it. Like, is this a crap decision? And she goes, yeah, it's terrible. And I said, you can say that. Like, let's find a way to say that. Maybe not using the word crap, but you can say that now. And it was a, a process of just saying, no, you can say what you really think. Multiple times, I think, before that really sunk in that her expertise had value and what her research showed was that there were real problems, that it wasn't anything that she was imagining. There is a crisis here. There is maladministration. That's what the research shows and that's what the media and the public cares about. Rod Campbell says at first he and Marianne had to figure out how to work together on what was a new area of research for the think tank. We wrote an op-ed and some social media and I remember Marianne saying that she felt like this was good but that we were just throwing rocks and that she had a lot more strategic ideas. But the point of writing a few rock-throwing reports was to work out how to work together and show that we could get something out the door together. We could get something in the media based on her work. And then we went on to really do some deep-dive work into proposed changes to the Basin Plan that at least initially we were able to get the Senate to disallow and that that really was the bull in the china shop moment for water policy in Australia um, that Marianne had gone rogue and we were not just throwing rocks anymore. But why does getting a front page splash or a Four Corners investigation matter? Why is media critical to the research? Isn't it enough that industry experts or government ministers are reading these reports? Uh, A lot of people, when they start working for an NGO, don't realise is that just being right isn't enough. You've got to be right and you've got to say it over and over and over again. And eventually, people start to listen. Every time Marianne would take me through one of her reports, I would just be absolutely aghast. Every report 
was a problem that I just had no idea was even an issue. Um, and I think I've been on a, a pretty similar journey to a lot of people in the, the public who, you know, don't necessarily live in these areas, don't hear those stories necessarily from on the ground. And so Marianne's research, I think, has been really important because before you can fix anything, it's important to understand that there is a problem to begin with and the public was not hearing that there was any problems with the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. ...of water being held back from states downstream. Lateline's Kerry Brewster reports with this exclusive story. There's only bitter disappointment for this Queensland family as it salvages the latest damaged cotton crop. One of the first people to interview Marianne when she left the Murray-Darling Basin Authority was freelance journalist Kerry Brewster. It was a great stroke of fortune that this position opened up at the Australia Institute and Marianne was able to slip in seamlessly. So she was able to move very quickly from the Basin Authority into the Australia Institute and bring with her all that really current information that she had that she could then release to the public, to various journalists who were very keen to talk to her, including myself. So I think Marianne has this amazing ability to cut through the jargon and present the story. And that comes from a base of her deep understanding of the story of mismanagement of water in Australia. So those, you know, many years of experience inside the Basin Authority obviously underpins everything that she's doing now. The River Murray is Australia's longest river and flows for more than 2,000 miles. It's a place that transcends time. Home to millions of Australians, it's inspired by love, guided by science and a bit of local intuition. Local people. Yet it wasn't just stage fright that made media appearances so nerve-wracking for Marianne. Going on national television to criticise your former employer is high stakes. If she publicly criticised the Murray-Darling Basin Authority, could she ever work in the public service again? Or indeed, find a job anywhere in the water industry? That was pretty scary because I put out my first report and what I didn't realise is when you put out a report, there's media the next day. And so I got a call from the comms director at about six o'clock in the morning. He's like, yay, Adelaide Radio wants to do an interview. And I'm just like, oh, crap. Well, of course, of course there's going to be media. I hadn't thought this through. I started freaking out, thinking, you know, I only got this job for three months and here I am now publicly, you know, bagging out MDBA. Up until that point, there was no public profile. You could not find me online. You couldn't find a picture on me anywhere, including my sister's, you know, Facebook page at a wedding. It just didn't exist. Um, So I had to now start doing all this stuff really publicly, which was terrifying because I'm a single parent with three kids and a mortgage. Um, But I had this real injustice. There was so much really bad stuff happening in water And I understood it. I understood the detail. I understood the big picture. I understood it politically or enough of it politically. I understood it socially. So I understood how all of this fits together and how bad it was and how much of taxpayers' money is just being wasted. So I was like, how can you not make that known? How can you not share that information? Most whistleblowers lose their jobs, their reputations, their marriages and they find it very difficult to find work in their field of expertise. Brian Martin is the Vice President of Whistleblowers Australia. 
He's also Emeritus Professor of Social Sciences at the University of Wollongong. He says cases like Marianne's, where a whistleblower is scooped up by a think tank, are rare. In the mid-1990s, there was a Royal Commission into Police Corruption in New South Wales, and a lot was exposed then. Jean Lenane, who was previously the president of Whistleblowers Australia, did a study comparing what happened to police who spoke out about problems that, that their colleagues had done, you know, corruption in the police, and she tracked their careers and tracked the careers of those that they'd spoken out about. And basically, those who spoke out, their careers went downhill, and those they spoke out about, their careers went up. So what do we like to see is a shift so that those who speak out are re- at least stable or maybe an advantage in their career because they've done the right thing, and those who've done the wrong thing, they're not going to succeed nearly as well, and we're a long way from that now. Well, unfortunately, we've had a couple of situations, very prominent cases, where we've seen that whistleblower protection hasn't worked. Uh, one of those instances is with Richard Boyle, uh, an ATO whistleblower. That's Rex Patrick. He's also a whistleblower and the Centre Alliance Senator from South Australia. Uh, another case, uh, Ron Shamir joined the tax office in 2011. In 2012, he raised a concern about the tax office bypassing a court order uh, or a court ruling. And uh, from that point on, uh, the relationship with his employer chilled having been ignored by uh, his employer, the tax office, uh, decided to go to the Inspector General of Taxation. In 2015, uh, the Inspector General of Taxation issued uh, Mr Shamir with a, a notice to produce that compelled him to assist the Inspector General by getting documents uh, from the tax office. Uh, he went into his work office um, and started collecting that information the tax office found out that he was complying with a, a Section 9 notice uh, in the context of a, an investigation into the ATO, and on the 10th of June he was marched out of his office. Uh, that's a very sad story. Mr Shamir is now living in poverty and has really suffered. He's been four years without a job and, and uh, it's, it really has affected him. People who do this are putting themselves at extreme risk. Um, jail time, of course, alienation, Uh, from their work colleagues, and the prospect of never getting to work in the field that they love ever again. Sarah Hanson-Young is a Green senator from South Australia who also has close experience with whistleblowers and a keen interest in the Murray-Darling Basin. When they come forward, when they uh, are prepared to tell, particularly from my experience as a politician, uh, telling a member of parliament, they do so with a huge hesitation that this might be the last time uh, they ever w- work in this field or ever find a, a solid, secure job again. And I don't know any whistleblower that has been better off um, as a result of speaking out. And that's partly because there hasn't been any structure in place to capture them, to look after them, to um, help facilitate them. And that is what makes Mary Ann actually quite different. The fact that the Australia Institute um, was able to not just uh, use her information and her skills, but they actually provided a safe haven for her. The truth is there is no typical whistleblower. There is, there is, they don't look the same, they don't sound the same, they definitely don't have the same experiences and they come from all levels. 
Australia needs more whistleblowers. Democracy needs more whistleblowers. And a think tank like the Australia Institute needs more whistleblowers. Uh, whistleblowers are great for public uh, policy debate. They allow ideas to be percolated that otherwise wouldn't get an airing. Uh, they bring a wealth of expertise into the public debate when so often their information and expertise is being delivered behind the scenes. We don't have a culture that promotes and protects whistleblowers. It's not just that we don't have laws to protect whistleblowers. We need a change in culture. The Australia Institute's Executive Director, Ben Oquist, credits the strategic thinking of a philanthropist for introducing Marianne to the think tank. But with this right person, we thought we could make a difference and there wasn't enough being done in this space. So it's the combination of those factors presented to us with enlightened philanthropy that we could raise the money to support it. Ultimately, um, we'd like to work on millions of projects, but ultimately they need funding and, and support. And uh, somebody who has just effectively come ended their career in the public service and wanted to, to leave and blow the whistle is not going to be easily re-employed in the public service. And the reality is... Uh, we needed to find a salary for Marianne and um, a strategic, quick-thinking philanthropy enabled us to start on that project and prove its value. If Marianne had gone back to chook farming or the Australia Institute couldn't find the philanthropic support to fund her position, all that institutional knowledge, the ability to understand what's happening across the entire million square kilometres that make up the Murray-Darling Basin, all of that would have gone down the gurgler, which is often the fate of other whistleblowers. Look, the reality is that the, the normal whistleblower story is a sad one. Uh, whistleblowers um, get to a point and they make a decision, a brave decision, to speak out about something that they, they think needs to be talked about and revealed. And then afterwards, they're not supported and they're often face poverty and worse. So today, as whistleblowers are really under the gun, uh, facing serious prosecution, it's essential that, that they are supported. And I think when you're looking at Marianne Slattery's work for the Australia Institute, you see an, a, a fantastic success story because there she is in a position to help a lot of people understand what's going on. I've never met a whistleblower of the calibre of Marianne Slattery. Uh, she's extraordinary and she's committed. She has um, an extraordinary facility to understand highly technical details that would confound basically any journalist, <laughs> I think, in Australia. And so that's why she's such, uh, such a precious resource and a bit of a treasure, really. The challenge for independent research institutes is to be able to cut through the bureaucratic jargon that goes along with water policy in Australia along with the spin from governments and various interest groups. And the strength of Marianne is that she's able to gain trust from water stakeholders on all sides. There's a lot of experts in water and there's not... Most of them have got an agenda, to be perfectly honest. Chris Minns is the New South Wales Shadow Minister for Corrections and the former State Shadow Water Minister. And, and crucially, and this is what I really love about Marianne, she's always got solutions to it too. I found her the most constructive public policy professional I'd ever come across. She's just not interested in 
gossip or revenge or telling me who's terrible in the department and and what what rumors were circulating about who or what just she's just no nonsense it was all about how do we fix this entrenched problem and make the driest continent on earth um livable particularly in regional new south wales i just just i i really thought she was on the side of getting to the truth and had absolutely nothing to do with her old workplace. If anything, she was generous to them when, when, when it called for it. You know, we, we need heroes like Marianne. Jane McAllister is a councillor from Wentworth Council, which takes in Mildura on the banks of the Murray River. She says there are many regional communities along the river system that now rely on the reports written by Marianne Slattery and the Australia Institute. Look, it, it would have been the, the biggest disgrace to have somebody with so much knowledge, um, with so much understanding of the way that the agencies, the bureaucracy has um, continued to throw this um, veil of secrecy, this elaborate obfuscation of what should be a really simple thing it would, in, a, in fact, have been tragic. Rod Campbell, the Australia Institute's research director, says the think tank has played a key role in pushing the problems of the Murray-Darling Basin to the front pages and to the top of the political agenda. Oh, it's been a phenomenal progression. And like I say, from pretty small articles um, that certainly got the attention of ministers and the bureaucracy and industry... Um, we went through the Senate disallowance, so the the Senate voted to disallow uh, what was called the Northern Basin Review, part of the plan that was going to change based on some further research in the Northern Basin, and the the Senate could, was able to disallow that. Yeah, that was a big moment, and after that, there's there's been loads of big moments, especially as the droughts kicked in the Watergate scandal over Angus Taylor's former company being given a multi-million dollar payout, Webster Limited and the uh, huge amounts of money that it's received under the Basin Plan and a lot of that going public in Four Corners as well, um, the drying up of the Darling um, to, uh, yeah, appearances on the drum and 60 Minutes Q&A. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a wild ride has been about returning water to the environment. 700 billion litres have been returned to the environment. It's only controversial in the eyes of the ABC and a few uh, you know, gaggle of discontents. The Australia Institute has also been able to provide institutional support for Marianne when she's criticised publicly or trolled on social media as being nothing but a disgruntled former employee of the Murray-Darling Basin Authority. Every time we put out a report and we're critical of some aspect of how the Basin Plan is is um, implemented, we get told, you know, it's disgruntled or we've got a you know particular agenda, we're trying to blow up the Basin Plan. Um, where's the space to say, well, this has just been implemented really badly. This has wasted hundreds of millions of dollars. That water purchase isn't going to recover any water and it was you know, tens of millions of dollars above the asking price anyway. And we've got a million, millions of fish have died and we've lost our dairy industry. We're about to lose our rice industry. We're losing citrus in some valleys. Fourth and fifth generation farmers are 
walking off the land, not because of drought, but because of how these reforms have been implemented. Um, where's the space to be able to talk about those things without someone, you know, calling you names? Another aspect of it that's been critical, I think, is for Mary Antonow, when she's out there promoting the, her research and the research that um, she's putting out there, when the vested interests are pushing back, the big irrigators are pushing back, that she has a team around her who has checked the research, that has her back, and we will back her up because the research is accurate and it shows what the problems are, and we back that 100%. And so she's not out there all on her own, on a limb. For Marianne, having a job to go to every day and working with a team who support her hasn't just been rewarding on a professional level, but healing on a personal level. Marianne needed a lot of support when she first arrived. She'd had a pretty rough trot where she was, and I think it had damaged her confidence to start with. You know, there was a real process of um, having to restore her confidence, um, to let her know that we were there to help with all kinds of things, whether that was media or you know, Rod's uh, support on the research side of things and writing the reports and preparing submissions and how, how we manage those kinds of things as a think tank. You can't overstate how traumatic that period it was at the MDBA. And um, coming here, a lot of it was healing and having a team around you that, you know, provides that support and they've got you back all the time was really surprising and I'm still sort of getting used to it but it was definitely a healing process because your confidence is just completely shattered Um, and I don't think it'll ever go back to what it was pre-MDBA but I mean the team here is just absolutely fantastic and they've all got each other's back and provide that support but you can't do it without an organisation like this. What do you think about the NFF proposal to pay farmers to leave the land? Isn't that exactly what the water backs were? <laughs> um, yeah, that does sound very similar to water buybacks, <coughs> which they're refusing to do now. Oh, no, that, that's actually not true. I mean, water buybacks... So at the Australian Institute, there's an incredible amount of generosity, buybacks. like intellectual generosity... There's no sort of, none of this hierarchy. You don't get to speak until the person that's more senior speaks sort of idea, which just happens in the public service. Um, there's no, I'm more senior than you, therefore I'm right sort of attitude. Um, so, yeah, it's very, it's a very democratic sort of place. Um, it's fun, you know. And, and I think the other thing is all the work we've put out is myself and Rod, you know, and so... That's sort of one and a half people because Rod does other research as well. Um, we've put out a huge number of reports and really punched above our weight. And MDBA has got um, just under 300 staff, I think, and they haven't been able to refute us. Good afternoon, the Australia Institute. Hannah speaking. No worries at all. May I have your name, please? It's in the interest of democracy, but also just in the interests of the, the public at large, that we encourage whistleblowers to come forward. But the issue is the support can't just stop there. 
you know, blowing the whistle is really the tip of the iceberg. And I think once a person has done that public service, it's incumbent upon the rest of us to make sure that that's not the end of that person's career, that their expertise isn't going to waste. But also I think, you know, it's just, it is so important. We have to encourage that. And if we don't, then we're sending the message to other potential whistleblowers that they're not important, that we don't value what they're doing and that we don't care enough to support them to to make those kind of disclosures. Ben Oakwist says the Murray-Darling Basin has been a slow burn project for the Institute, but one that has been able to seize key moments in the news and political cycle. And he thinks it's a model other NGOs could emulate. He thanks the philanthropist who saw in Marianne not just a whistleblower, but a great untapped resource, and one that needs resourcing. I know that something very special has happened with Marianne and something very special has happened to the public debate that has changed radically as a result of of her work. And I think it's all too rare. I haven't seen other think tanks, other organisations take on a whistleblower and the commitment over months and years that it takes to get the most out of the whistleblower and help rebuild their lives and help give them a job and help give them an outlet and the training and responsibility that entails. But ultimately, what a great gift it's been for us. So for other philanthropists or think tanks, there are many whistleblowers out there. We know some of them publicly, but there are many more that would come forward if they know that they will be nurtured and supported. And if your aim is to affect the public policy debate, what a great opportunity. Our democracy and our country needs more whistleblowers. It's ultimately good for everybody, but it's not just about blowing the whistle in the first place. That's just the start for that person and for the issue. It's it's a waste if we leave it there, and, and laws themselves won't fix that. Imagine what many more whistleblowers can achieve with the right home and support. And that's all in our special podcast mini-series, How to Make a Whistleblower. This episode was written and produced by me, Jennifer Macy. Additional production by Lizzie Jack. Editing by Ebony Bennett and fact-checking by Marianne Slattery. The executive producer is Anna Chang at the Australia Institute. If you want to donate to the Australia Institute's research on the Murray-Darling Basin, visit tai.org.au forward slash donate. Every donation you make of $2 or more is tax deductible. If you enjoyed this series, grab your friend's phone, find How to Make a Whistleblower on their podcast app and hit subscribe for them. I do it all the time. And if you haven't already, do subscribe to the Australia Institute's other podcast, Follow the Money, which breaks down the big economic and political issues of the day and puts them into plain English. Thanks so much for listening.